Welcome to the OV Build podcast, Building to Boss. I'm Casey Renner, VP of Executive Networks here at OpenView. This month, we're releasing a special mini-series with female leaders in the enterprise SaaS industry who know the path to leadership is challenging, but aren't willing to let that stop them from building something great. Today, we hear from Anne Del Santo. She's led cross-functional sales teams at IBM, Oracle, and most recently Salesforce, where she managed go-to-market efforts for cloud sales, solution engineering, and product platform. Now, she's taking those operational roles and applying them as an independent board member for five public and private technology companies, among them Axonius, one of OpenView's portfolio companies. In today's episode, we unpack optimal ways for sales organizations to work together to achieve results, how to advance your team members' careers, and what's critically important for product-led growth founders to get right. All of that and more in this episode of the Build mini-series, Building to Boss. Let's dive in with Ann Del Santo. Thank you so much for joining us on the OV Build podcast. I'm excited to chat with you about just your, you know, phenomenal career and board work. You're just a, it's like you're an esteemed board member now. You've so, you're on so many boards. So I'm excited to uh, talk more about you with that, um, including the Axonius board, which uh, which we uh, part of the OpenView portfolio. But um, to start off, would just love to hear you know from your point of view a little bit about your career trajectory and kind of how you got to where you are today. Sure. Thank you, Casey. It is great to be here with you. And I would say that the story of my career trajectory is really a story of the love of technology and the love of problem solving that sort of sums up the career, my career, the theme of my career. I was a math major and on my way to law school. But the last summer before I graduated, I spent an internship with IBM in Manhattan and they teamed me up with a systems engineer. And this gave me the back door to many companies. I was talking to them about technology and how it could solve their business problem. And I fell in love with the role. I decided this is the role for me. And over 30 years, I've had the opportunity to have that backdoor access to all size companies around the world as a pre-sales engineer with IBM, then with Oracle and with Salesforce to discuss business challenges and craft technology solutions to meet those business challenges. And as a solution engineer, you're right at the crossroads of sales and product. So I've spent a career working closely with sales teams and also had the opportunity to lead a global specialist sales team in addition to solution engineering. And so I spent a career bringing customer feedback and observations to product management, which also led me to my most recent role as a GM of Salesforce product platform. So having engineers, product managers, product marketing, and working closely with the sales team that I used to lead and and bring these products to customers worldwide. So all of these roles gave me a deep respect for our customers' challenges in in an ever-changing environment that they live in, and also a deep respect for sales teams and product teams that bring technology solutions to these customers. And then in my final role at Salesforce as the GM of Platform, I spent a lot of time with founder or CEOs of independent software vendors, and they were building on our platform. And I realized in those conversations that bringing my voice as an advisor, I brought a unique perspective as they were leading their companies. And so this brought me to the decision to step away from an executive operations role 
and begin this chapter of being a go-to-market, product-led voice to boardrooms for both public and private companies. Like the career. That's great. I know. And you're, you're doing, I feel like so many boards now. Are you on, is it five? Yeah. Five boards, three public and two private. That yes. is crazy. You must keep yourself very busy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like a whole full-time role in itself. Exactly. Um, all right. Exactly. So on, on the product-led note, you know, you and I have obviously had a lot of talks about product-led growth and, and putting the customer first. And that's something that, you know, Salesforce especially is so focused on too. But regardless of company size, why are customers so important? I mean, it sort of seems like it should be a redundant question, but it feels like, you know, in prior years, it was, you know, people were less concerned about the customer compared to where they are now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as I mentioned, because I've spent my career with all size companies in all industries around the world, the one thing that I always remember is you don't have a company unless you have a customer. So, so it makes them very, very important. You know, who's buying our product or service is key to how we market and sell and especially the roadmap of our product. So how are we solving the customer's problem is the key question for everyone. And I've learned that, you know, the fast growing small companies have shown me the latest trends because they're quick and they're agile and they're looking for technology to solve their challenges. The global enterprise companies have shown me the complexities that technology needs to solve, like scale and security and availability. And then the specific industries like healthcare, financial services, retail, manufacturing, those customers have shown me the specific needs of customer solutions, right? What are those unique solutions for that industry and also the specific regulatory compliance solutions and challenges they're facing? So every customer and company is always teaching us how to improve. So we really should make it a priority to listen to them. As you said, Casey, just making sure that we are putting the customer at the center. Mm -hmm. What advice do you have for customer segmentation, especially as you look back at your role at Salesforce, but as companies are trying to figure that component out? Yeah. I mean, I think each company that I've worked for has thought about it. Do you segment by industry? Do you segment by size of company, number of employees, size of revenue? At Salesforce, uniquely, you know, their solution is all about customers. It's customer relationship management. And so it was true to the core of their solution to put the customer at the center. So with sales and service and marketing solutions by their nature, What it really gave me the opportunity to do is see how important it was to be able to help our customers put their customers at the center of everything they did. And what I realized, whether I was a solution engineer or a sales leader or a GM of product, the most sought after session or forum with our customers is they wanted to understand how Salesforce used Salesforce to grow their customers and to really engage and understand their customers. So I'd say we went through iterations of how to segment, but just understanding and looking at our customers and talking to them about their customers was very informative in a way that that really challenged the way I think about advising and talking to companies. Got it. Over the course of your career, you know, you've you know had to work and work with and also lead cross-functional teams. And you alluded to this a little bit um, when you were giving your career trajectory, but how have you approached bringing teams together to ensure, you know, synergies and established metrics? I mean, that's a, a question we hear a lot. 
how does product work with design or engineering or CS with sales? What did you learn? Tell us your yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think we've been on a trajectory of not being siloed, of being sort of flatter, and how do you work across organizations? I definitely found that in my operational roles, I would always, you know, sort of the guiding principles for me were, you know, you're not a leader unless somebody's following you. And also, you know, my motto, which was taken from Peter Drucker was, managers do things right, but leaders do the right things. And so with both of those in mind, I found that to work most effectively cross-organizationally was to champion career development for those who I had a stake in, in their careers. And I would look for ways to grow their careers, whether it was in my organization or somewhere else. And so I looked at those organizations that we worked with that we could bring help to. So I would host product and SE forums to bring these great minds together to build their networks and also bring them together to talk about how do we build better products? What are customers asking for? What's the most important activity? And that developed a real cross-functional working. With sales, I would bring in sales executives and the solution engineers, and I'd have them present, this is what we're finding. This is what we're seeing in key segmentations of our customers and then talk about where should we invest? Who, who are the accounts and the companies we should be investing in? And again, it brought a lot of cross-functional working. And so building the best people in your organization, attracting that talent, developing that talent, sometimes meant for me helping them get a job somewhere in some other organization, whether it was marketing or sales or product, and really advancing great talent across the company you start to build a reputation of this type of activity and other organizations work with you. And so it's a simple thing, but it really showed that you're committed to cross-functional teaming and it breaks down walls and silos that can start to build as companies grow. Well, yeah. And especially at Salesforce, I mean, could only imagine because you guys, I mean, massive by the time you left. Yes. Too. yes. Like, yes. I mean, I we've talked, like we trying to even keep track of like, I'm like, okay, where did Anne sit versus like this person versus this person? Yes. You need a whole yes. math for that alone. <laughs> All right. So kind of going back pre-Salesforce when you were at Oracle, you founded Oracle Direct Women's Network and would love to, you know, hear a little bit about that. And how did you attract and retain, you know, women in your organization? So that one was kind of interesting. I was probably about, you know, 15 years into my career. And, you know, look, it's no secret that in sales and in technology, you don't necessarily see the reflection of the audience that are customers and in the world around you. So one day, the leader of our division asked if I would speak to women in our business unit, since I was an executive at that time. And my first response was, I'm not your girl. And the reason I said it is I had I was very grateful for my career in technology sales, and I really didn't see myself any differently than anyone else who was leading a large organization. But his question challenged me to really think, and I thought about it, and I realized I spent 15 years of the career I was in at the time in technology, and I was a woman who was in an executive position, and I realized that gave me a unique perspective that some may want to hear. And so I said, okay and that I would tell my story. And so I presented to this group and it included, my story included not only the professional journey, but also my personal journey, which really is the whole story. 
and just sharing the decision points along this journey that affects the course of the road you work in for men and women in the audience. Well, the response I received from, you know, young women just starting out in their career, men of all ages as well who were in the audience, led me to believe that it really was important to speak frankly and transparently to encourage all, you know, to pursue that unique road that's set out for you. And that's how Oracle Direct Women's Network started. And I would bring in speakers and executives. I worked with talent recruiting, university recruiting. And my goal was just to ensure that we were welcoming all to the opportunities that the tech industry provided. And that was the start of it. And sort of, I think it was at a perfect point in my career that I realized I did have a responsibility to sort of break the path for others and and tell them about the opportunities that were ahead. Yeah, that's great. You feel like you were ahead of your times with that too. You know, 15 15 years ago. (laughs) Yes. There was less talk about women in tech. I I was not in tech 15 years ago, but based on what I have heard, there were definitely less women than than there are now. Yes. All right. So when you joined Salesforce, your directive was, and I'm I'm quoting this, position for exponential growth, develop and implement a go-to-market strategy for expansion to a 10 billion plus enterprise cloud company. So a large directive. So what did the first 100 days look like and how did you measure your success? Yeah, you always think back to those first, you know, 100 days and you're like, man, did I did I do it right? I had a wise person tell me when I first joined that you're joining a fast-paced, high-growth world of SaaS. And, you know, I was coming from on-premise software and before that hardware. So, and she said to me, you know, it's really important to plan and track accomplishments every day, every week, every month for your first 90 days so that you set a good foundation for success. And so that's what I did. I I took her word and I thought, okay, that's what I'm going to do. So I arrived at the beginning of Q4. And I really am a strong believer that Q4s are a microcosm of the year. They're just very concentrated. And I took advantage of onboarding through a very concentrated aperture. So I spent time very deliberately with my team, the head of global sales. I found the products that could use focused help to really achieve their goals, I jumped in there. I jumped in wherever the team could be injected. I also thought about meeting, you know, who are the customers that we need to meet with anywhere in the world that needed an executive sponsors, places that, you know, others bandwidth couldn't provide for them to go, I jumped in. Q4 represents work done by many others throughout the year. And so I wanted to respect that work as the new person but offer to go where others were too busy to go. And that experience of the first 90 days, really looking for sort of those places where you could make a difference in the time that you're there for a short amount of time, gave me a good grounding in all the parts of the business. And it really set the groundwork for my first fiscal year under my leadership, where I could put in goals and metrics that were very realistic and from my experience on the ground. So, you know, very grateful for that advice and really don't waste any minute of those first 90 days. Yeah. How big was your team by the time you left almost seven years later? And I know you had pivoted roles, but... Yeah, it was about 10 times the size when I started. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yes, it was much smaller than my team at Oracle, but Salesforce was a much smaller company. 
you know, than, than Oracle. And so I did go there for the trajectory of growth that was ahead. And yes, by the time I ended, it was 10 times the size. Wow. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I, I would love to talk about your now full-time job, which is a board work. How did you get to the level? I mean, there's, there's so many, and I'm sure you get asked this all the time, but you know, there's so many women who are struggling to get on their first board. So, you know, I guess step one, how, you know, what advice do you give the people looking to just try to get to one, but how did you get to five? (laughs) (laughs) You're like, "Eh, one, one, one's for, one's for losers. I'm going all the way. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think the thing that I didn't understand was, you know, board work is really the summation of the experience of your career. And I, I, think, I think I didn't have a full appreciation that the work that I was doing each day, each year, the people I was working with, the customers that I interacted with, they really, all of that built the stories and, and my belief system that gave me a unique perspective that allows me to bring that perspective and bring value to a board. So that, I mean, really, it, it sounds fundamental. And I think if somebody told me this while I was in the midst of my career, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but I, I do have to say, in looking back, just building that day-to-day, the, the jobs that you're in, it is really a valuable voice when you get to a board. And the depth of your belief in those experiences is what gives your voice the power and conviction when, when you are on a board. What makes, since you've had experience on the both private and public side, but what makes a successful board room, you know, board makeup in your eyes? And also, you know, part 2A of that question is a successful board meeting. Like, how do you, you know, we have a lot of CEOs that say, this is my first board meeting with an independent. What do we do to make this successful? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, again, I, I, I think that sort of that experience where I was never really one of those people who was great at networking. I used to throughout my career get this question like, who's your mentor and how did you build mentors? And I I would say, I really, again, I'm not your girl. Like I, I'm not the one you should look to because I didn't do it well. I just, so I just funny. worked. But what I realized was the power of the network that that developed and, and the conviction of sort of my experience So the most successful boards really are built by people that every person on that board has unique experience and perspective. This is is the value that you bring to the board. And one of the things that I did in, as I was going through interviewing for boards, was I would look at the other board members and say, is my voice unique enough that this company and the shareholders need my voice on this board, right? So the most successful boards and board meetings are when each person on the board brings their depth of knowledge and experience to challenge and encourage every decision for the good of the company, the customers, employees, partners, and the shareholders. And I think it's really important for robust debate and discussion because that's what drives the best strategic direction of the company. So again, if you think of any forum that you're in, if somebody's going to debate you strongly, you want to have pretty strong convictions so that you can show up to that debate. And I I think that's what makes a really good boardroom that people are standing in 
the conviction of their experiences. Um, and, and that is the value that they bring. That diversity of voice and perspective is really important. Got it. Kind of transitioning out of the boardroom piece, how do you give opportunities to all in tech and how do you build representation in the technology community? Yeah, I, I think from that story that I, I told about, you know, starting that, um, you know, yeah. network, yeah. <laughs> I realized that, you know, I'm a big believer that my life is my testimony and actions speak louder than words. And so when I take on new opportunities, I'm always thinking about what is the example that I'm building so that I'm showing that it's possible for different voices to lead in this in- industry. So representation doesn't only mean, you know, what we look like, but it's also what we can't see, like, you know, representation from different experiences, points of view. It develops our thinking and our observation. I myself, at a time in, in my career, was a stay-at-home mom managing a home. And so getting that opportunity to re-enter the workforce after a time away was always a big part of my experience. And it taught me be a lifelong learner, look to learn from others, listen to their voices, and then welcome all voices to companies and forum. So as a leader, just check. I did this a lot when I was a leader. I would look around the table and make sure there was somebody who disagreed pretty vehemently with a good portion of my strategies. It was uncomfortable, but it was important to have that population represented because there were people out there that I wouldn't be thinking about. And this person, you know, fixed that blind spot for me. So certainly through university recruitment forums, I've done that, but also look for the places that people aren't looking. Like I, because of my experience, I always looked at people who had been away from a career for a while because I thought that experience gave them a perspective that would be unique and would be a voice. And so how do you make sure that you're welcoming all of them? That's great. What advice do you have for founders of software companies? I mean, I think it's critically important, especially in the world of you know product-led growth, that founders really understand the product and ensure that customers can adopt it easily. So usability, that ability to adopt seamlessly is critically important in the, in the juncture that we're in. The other thing that I would say to founders of companies, and maybe it's because I've tried to sometimes, you know, at IBM, at Oracle, frankly, even at Salesforce, even in the size it was at the time, when you try to have to fix things when a company is of a size, it's much more difficult. But at the founding of a company, a critical aspect are the leaders. You know, those first people you bring on, do they have good diversity of ideas and experiences? Because that's the foundation of your company. And these people, leaders, will ensure the direction and the growth trajectory of the company. And so I I think that's a, a really important aspect, as well as, of course, you know, deep product knowledge and how people will use it and seamlessly adopt. Yeah, which kind of ties back into how will your customers use your product? Yeah. We talked about at the beginning. It all comes full circle. All right. Walk us through what trends you think will play out in the next five, 10 years. You know, like I said, I've been through hardware, on-premise software, SaaS, and now the changes that product-led growth are bringing to -to go-to-market organizations, right? And I do see that sort of the trend, this moment of work from home season, it's highlighted it. But frankly, when I was the GM of Platform, I was looking at this aspect of products that really help a deeper employee engagement. 
and seeing that trend being critical to the success of the company. You know, are you building culture and engaging employees for the health and strength and growth of your company? And what products can do that? So it's critically important to understand where are your employees? How do you encourage their growth and engagement? And the importance of those products and services that drives engaged employees. I mean, again, 2020 has shown us how important that is with an unexpected everybody work from home. But I don't, I think it was always there. And it was a trend I was seeing in my last role. And I, I think that's an important trend as well. Yeah, it was like it was there. And then 2020, yeah. just made, made it, it, brought it, brought it to the sea, brought it to center stage. Correct. Yeah. Even the yeah. advent of, you know, companies, you know, in the last like four to five months that, you know, you've started hearing about like Mural is one that I just started hearing a lot about towards middle of last year for collaborative whiteboarding. And it's like, it was yes. always there, but people always weren't there. using exactly. it. <laughs> exactly. Real yeah. life whiteboarding, which I That's do miss right. a little bit, but I do also like the, you know, work from home flexibility. And here I am in Florida. So. <laughs> well, think about, you know, to your point, how do you welcome all? Think yeah, about how yeah. that's removed all boundaries because, you know, you can work it, you know, where are you? Where do you live? What location? What is your lifestyle? I mean, it really welcomes all. Yeah, it opens up talent pools for, yes. for so many more people. And I mean, especially the smaller companies that were trying to compete with the Bay Area salaries. Correct. You know, now they don't need to anymore. They can That's hire right. great people from middle of the country with good degrees. So That's right. Yeah, I'm interested. I'm really interested to see what 2022 looks like. I feel like 2021 will still be this sort of up in the air, like trying to get back to normal, but like, what is the new normal? And then like, I'm like, oh, maybe by 2022, we'll like see what the new normal actually is like yes. after this year plays out. So, all right, my, my last uh, five, well, four questions for you. Who is your female role model since we are launching this for, you know, Women's History Month? I just love knowing who people, I know you said you're not like, a, you know, you don't have a big mentor, but if there's someone <laughs> in the universe that you just think is really awesome. <laughs> Yeah, I would have to say yes to your point of I didn't have any. I mean, I think I had mentors in looking back. I just wasn't, I wasn't that person pursuing yeah. them. I yeah. probably should have, of course. Yeah. But, but I would say, you know, throughout my life in the larger universe, it would be my older sister. She's two years older than I. And she was always there going before me, sharing wisdom. And then she just always believed in me. And so, you know, in looking back at a life, she really was my female role model. That's awesome. What is one thing you can't live without? <laughs> if right, so you had I, to narrow it down to one. <laughs> I know. Uh, I mean, coffee. There's just okay. no way I have to live without coffee. I do have to say that also, like, just getting outside, maybe it's the work from home thing, but getting outside a walk, a run, a game of pickleball, something is... Yes. I can't live without that and certainly becoming more important, but coffee, I still think is number number one on the list. Yeah. At least you're back in like good coffee territory. That's right. That's right. area. So not that the yeah. Northeast doesn't have great coffee. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? I probably always wanted this, but again, this past year has made it more important. If I could have the superpower of teleporting. Yes show up anywhere in yeah. the world whenever <laughs> yeah. I needed to be there and then get right back. Like yes. that is, uh, that would be a oh. huge superpower for me. Yes. I know. Someone's um, got to be working on that, right? Like, I, that hope so. be I hope so. <laughs> yes. yes. Elon Musk is on it. 
Exactly. Exactly. Yes. The less, the less funny one would be um, wisdom, like the right application of knowledge, just being, you know, you look back on a life and you're just like, wow, making those wise decisions at those moments in time. That would be a wonderful superpower to have. Yes. Yep. I, I, I agree. That's, that's, I guess, the more, uh, the more wise one, but yeah, the more fun <laughs> teleporting. I like exactly. that one too. The teleporting um, cool. Yeah. And is there an app on your phone that you cannot live without? Yeah, I, I mean, I think to pick up on the themes of coffee and teleporting, uh, it would be Starbucks and Uber. <laughs> Those are going to be the apps that I, I, you cannot, are, I cannot live without. So. You are too funny. And now you yeah. can Uber Eats your Starbucks or something. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. These are the apps that I'm just like, wow, it's good to be alive this year, you know? Yes, getting, getting you through board work. Well, Anne, thank you so much for talking shop with me. Like I said, I appreciate you taking the time you know again you've had such a fabulous career so appreciate you just you know sharing a small part of that with us you're very welcome it's been wonderful talking to you casey and here's to a wonderful year ahead thanks for listening to this episode of the ov build podcast building to boss we hope you learned as much as we did we'd love to hear what you think about the show please leave us a review on apple podcasts and subscribe to stay up to date with all the new episodes If you're looking for more OpenView content, follow me, Casey Renner, on LinkedIn. See you next time here on OV Build.